Quick heads up about this episode before we get into it. Uh, this was not recorded at the usual setup with Stefan and myself, but it was just me with uh, Sanjay from E3D and Richrap, aka Richard Horn. We talk about some really interesting stuff like whether you should buy a 3D printer kit or you should source everything yourself, what materials you should use for which purposes, but, and that's a really big but, uh, I did end up screwing up the audio quality. So this episode doesn't sound anywhere close to what I would have liked it to sound. So give it a try, see for yourself if you can actually listen to it or if it's too bad for your ears. Uh, if it is, sorry, skip this episode, come back the next one where it's going to be Stefan and myself again at the usual setup. So yeah, let's get going with the show. Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast again. It is today, October 19th, 2018. And as you may be able to tell, we're not at the usual set. So first podcast with guests. Who, who are you guys? Hi, I'm Richard, uh, known as Rich Rap in the 3D community and uh, do a lot of work with 3D printing and trained as an electronics engineer. Um, and I'm Sanjay Mortimer. I am the commercial director of E3D Online. Um, we make hot ends, nozzles, extruders, whatever you want to call them, um, and early RepRap 3D printing enthusiasts. Cool. So we, we know who you are. What, what, what are you up to? Like, what's the right now? What, what are you working on? What are, what are you passionate about? What's, what's going on? Uh, uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll start. Um, okay, so this year's been a bit uh, up and down for me, a bit of a roller coaster year with with uh, time for 3D printing. But I have managed to do a lot more fun things for myself rather than actually focus on content creation. Um, I still find the joy of 3D printing and making uh, fun. So it's been a lot of practical 3D printing around the house, um, but also some really nice um, projects to test some. Uh, boundaries of 3d printing so with different materials and uh, uh that's been really good fun really but uh, yeah tiny things been printing lots of tiny things using small nozzles um, and, and just figuring out what plastics work with small nozzles you gave me some great hints sanjay yeah and, uh, yeah so that's been quite fun and i've really enjoyed doing that just for myself you know no, nothing to do with blogs or video posts or anything but uh, yeah just enjoying doing that so yeah that's sort of what i've been doing this this, yeah, this year really. that's, that's kind of what you've always been doing kind of pushing the limits and, and showing what can be done just of good looking stuff and and uh, really appealing prints right yeah yeah definitely i i, I like to uh, i like to try and get the most appropriate use of material um in whatever i'm doing um and some of the practical 3d printing enclosures for electronics uh, that's still my day job but um it's been quite interesting actually trying to use uh, more appropriate materials for certain projects uh, for their uh, material strengths and uh, using a lot of those uh, little metal uh, little metal inserts that you push in. Yeah, oh, they're fantastic. So, and stuff. Uh, I found joy in using those and, and yeah, I've been doing a lot with them. So yeah. yeah. So what, what are you been up to? Um, tool change is obviously a big part of it, um, but I suppose so go away from just like the e3d commercial stuff my like little personal pet projects um have been well working with rory to we really want to do like a metrology head for the 3d printer that uses the kinematic coupling as the, the deflection sensor um and so we've got some bits in from renishaw so we've got like actual ruby touch probes and things like that and that so that's like a little passion project that probably doesn't have much commercial output at least not yet because <laughs> uh, it requires a bunch of custom electronics to get made and things um been playing a lot with making hot ends from scratch again which feels like going back five six years ago yeah at least at least i still remember you know the, yeah. the copper or heater wire wound around stuff it's Absolutely. Um, so it's kind of going back to building your own heater building and building that around a nozzle and doing all these things and kind of just playing and exploring by hand to figure out the best way to do that um, with a view to, I don't know, maybe doing it in the future for like next generation E3D hot ends. But it's been fun because it's like doing that, but with all the technical resources that we have at E3D. So it's like when... <laughs> Yeah, back when I was like, it's the same kind of 
joy as back when I was in the like school workshop like building these little hot ends but now I have like a machine shop and I can call up like technical ceramics companies and be like yeah with this company we do this and we sell these many hot ends and we want to build like heaters and stuff like that they'll send you samples out the wazoo so you can get all the cool stuff and so you've got like these high-end like technical ceramics and um, one of the cool things that's been recent is the whole e-cigarette industry has blown up the market for like custom heater wire, like the oh, nichrome yeah. wire. But it's not just nichrome, they've got like nichrome and canthal and they've got uh, stainlesses and like all, every single like heater wire you can imagine, a heater ribbon. And you can buy all of this on Amazon Prime for these people that yeah. wind their own coils. I don't really get it, but anyway, there's lots of heating element stuff out there you can now buy. Um, and so that's been really cool to like slap that on and play with that whole affair. Yeah. Um, it's been a good laugh. All right. So, so Sanjay, as expected, is playing with hot ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But hot ends is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good yeah. stuff. I mean, it, 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 we, we're going like a one trick pony. We're going full <laughs> circle. So yeah. You do, you do, you do a podcast, you get hot ends. <laughs> you have got a, another focus now with the tool changer and the, the yeah. limitations as well as the possibilities. Yeah. I think that's uh, for me. Um, you did remind me there. I have also been clearing the decks to spend more time on tool changers and that sort of eco ecosystem. So for me, yeah, the, the the next six months will be very much focused on tool changing technologies. That's cool. Yeah, that's exciting. We'll have to get you some changing bits and bobbin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Cool. Good stuff. What have I been working on? Well, I've I've mostly been just you know touring the UK and and touring some some really interesting places. So I, I did end up here at, at E3D. So this has been my my last two days now. Uh, I've been to Adrian Bauer. The well, inventor of RepRap, the the guy who put the idea out, uh, who put the spark out and developed the very first machines, and that is of course working for the RepRap documentary, working towards having something to show to people to you know teach them on. Okay, this is why we have all these machines that we have now. Um, so Adrian Bauer, I've talked to Gina Hoiske from Octoprint um, about what she's up to, and also about you know how software plays into things. And I got to see MCPP, so formerly Dutch Filaments, um, one of the world's largest filament manufacturers, and they're, they're crazy. They've got 14 running filament production lines. Uh, we're wow, building yeah. up to 16 now, and it's just it's a massive operation what they what they've got going on. Um, so that was that was good fun. That was my last week basically. Um, and yeah, final goal was was to see Adrian Bauer. And tomorrow I'm heading home. <laughs> It's it's been good fun. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not often these opportunities where you get to see so many things at the same time. It's been fantastic. Yeah. I think it's great actually that yeah. you got on and done some work on the Rep Rat documentary. There's a lot of people talking about it for years. This isn't, it's not just a recent yeah. thing. So, I know yeah. like in, in 2014 or 2015, uh, Brooke Drum actually put that idea out and yeah. almost got it to a point where, you know, I think yeah, I, think I, I offered to, to film that even. Um, yeah. But I, I, I didn't have the knowledge of tools back then. I probably still don't. Um, honestly, I still don't know what I'm doing for most of the time. But it's a monster of a project. It's like so undefined because of the, just like the rep rap project. It's so undefined yeah. and webby. It's like who do you include? Who do you not include? Do you don't want to offend? Yeah, and are you trying to are you trying to capture the the history or the sort of emotion or the essence or the movement? Or well, are you trying to capture? Again, the goal is to, to be able to explain to people why, you know, and how RepRap kind of got started and how it went into 3D printing as we have it today. Um, so that, that's mostly just a, an educational piece, but also, of course, it goes into um, kind of the ideologies that the project was started or wasn't started with, as, as we'll actually find out, um, kind of how, how, how the community works together and, and all those little bits and pieces that played into where we are now. So it's I'm, a fantastically organic project, I think, which is allowed to grow in all sorts of areas. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure I've I've missed a lot of details and a lot of people to talk to. I'm I'm I've for sure missed a few of the key um, well, early inventors and, and designers. But you, you got to say, okay, that this is enough at some point. It's just yeah. so sure, much to cover. Version two, there always is. That's the whole point of the evolving rep. So, yeah. There you go. Version yeah. two. <laughs> Sure. Um, and I guess one, one more bit of, of news that, um, catch, oh, sorry. 
Sorry. One more bit of news that kind of ties on to what we've been covering in the last podcast is uh, the entire story with Murph 2019. Um, with Sammy CNC and, and a few people kind of having a bit of, of toxic fallout, I guess. Um, that's all been resolved. I don't know how much of that has actually been resolved behind the scenes, but there is going to be an MR, MRF MRF 2019 and there's official dates now. So it's going to be March 29th. Um, that's Friday till Sunday, March 31st, 2019. Tickets are on sale. So I'm will be there for sure. We will be there. Rich, you're going to be there? I, I, I'm going to make a very, very, very concerted effort to be there this time because yeah. I've not gone to one and I really want to go. So yeah, I have, oh, been, I have been saving, I have been planning and yes, I do want to go. It, it is a, have, have you been there before? I've not, no, I've not been. Oh I've God, not been you're missing out. That particular place in the world. But, it's right up uh, your yeah. street as well, it's yeah. like, yeah. Very much I, so. I wonderful things, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I'm gonna very hard and try very hard to be there. It's, uh, I mean, I've been there last year for the very first time, and it's it's been good fun. You did say you thought it was one of the best you visited. Yeah, it's like it it so accurately represents just the, the core of what is really the community. Um, yeah, sure that there's trade shows and stuff, but that's companies that are that are trying to sell you stuff. But Murph is really people uh, working together and developing stuff and showing what they're working on. That's that is that is really good to see. Yeah, very happy that it's going ahead and that I know I wasn't following any of the uh, controversies. Yeah, yeah, micro drama, <laughs> micro internet drama. Um, but very happy that it's all ironed out. It seems like it is, and that um, the two parties are like working together. Which yeah, is great for the good of everyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's good to see. Um, yes, should we move on to the uh, topics for this week? Um, the re well, not recurring topics, but the recurring segments. So I guess I left this out at the beginning of this podcast and we might edit this back. But uh, for this or that, we're going to have kits or DIY printers. Uh, we're going to have the topic of the week, which materials for which applications. And we're going to start out with the this or that. So. Uh, Sandra, I'm going to start with you. Would you recommend, or under which conditions would you recommend for someone to source a 3D printer kit from scratch and build that, or have them buy a kit and uh, I think get if the you package? have to ask yourself that question, the answer is probably that you should get a kit. Um, really? Uh, if you ask, have to ask yourself that question, yeah, I'm yeah. sure in any way you should yeah. probably get a kit. Okay. Right? Unless you have absolute confidence in your ability or the necessity for you to, you might need to, well, there are two reasons to self source. One is in order to achieve your goals, kit printer isn't going to do it. You need to do XYZ yeah. and you're sufficiently comp like competent and confident in your abilities to achieve that, that you go and you source your own kit and you do it. Number two is that you want to do it entirely as a learning exercise. And once again, you're 100% confident in your ability to resolve that to a working printer. Um, and your motivations are that you want to learn or that you want to achieve something otherwise impossible because a kit will be cheaper and, and kind of easier in almost all situations that I can think of as far as I know. Um, and so I think that, yeah, you, you have to have absolute confidence in your ability to take all these suppliers and turn them into the correct parts and then turn those correct parts that you've then ordered into a functioning printer. Um, so. I, I guess my surprise and, and um, uh, to that reaction is really, wouldn't you just recommend they bought a complete finished machine rather than buying a kit? If you ask that question, if you're asking that question, why are you asking that question? Yeah, well, well I would the yeah. marketplace or because <laughs> yeah. actually the right answer might be you don't want to buy a kit or you don't want to self-source you want to buy a printer yeah but the, I think there's a very valuable lesson in, in building a 3D printer yourself even if it's just from a kit from um, you know components that you get laid out and you get a manual with that um, it's you understand the workings of the machine you understand how everything ties together and if you run into an issue later on you're going to be very well prepared in resolving that versus if you just have the finished machine uh, you know, you might not even get the results you want out of the box and you, you have no way of, of quantifying what that is, where, where that stems from. So it's, yeah. And I suppose even if your objective is to make a machine that the kit doesn't do, um, you know, you want to do something advanced, um, 
I don't know, make a high temperature machine, um, then building the kit first will put you in good, if you're unsure about your ability to do the self-source thing, do the kit thing, and then you'll be put in good stead to modify that machine um, and build it into whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you, you mentioned cost for kit versus self-sourcing, and I've, I've experienced that with in the past with the RepRab, well, RepRab, the Dolly project, Dolly i3 kind of... Um, trying to clone the, the Prusa Mark II, which is functionally similar, um, not identical, but similar to, to what the, what the Prusa Mark II does. And it ended up costing more than, we're up, sorry, should have muted my phone. Um, it ended up costing, well, not more than the, than the real deal, but it ended up costing more than cheap printer kits. Um, and it used all the cheap parts. So you, you kind of get the equivalent in, in component quality. Sorry, um, but you, you spend a lot more time on sourcing everything and on you know, just trying to make stuff work versus actually getting to use the machine and tune it. Uh, whereas when, with a kit, you just get the thing and you at least know what to expect. I, I generally couldn't agree more. I'm sort of playing devil's advocate because everything I... I tend to build is, is either from scratch or from kits and my kids have done the same they, they've only had 3d printers that have been built up um, as a, an occasional usage uh, the ones they actually use day to day and the ones they're building now are all from kits so my um, youngest daughter is building up a I made 3D jelly box at the moment. Yep. I saw them at the T3T uh, yeah, show. And uh, that's a fantastic kit. It's, everything is labeled better than a Prusa i3. And the manual and the instructions are even better. So it, it really is fantastic for kids to, to do that. And they get all the tools and everything else. So, uh, and it's fairly simple because most of it is with uh, tie wraps. So you build everything yeah. in the construction with tie wraps. Um, but yeah, both my kids have built Prusa i3s from, from kit. Um, so yeah, that's uh, been a, a good learning experience. Yeah, so I mean, there's not just one type of kit, and there's not just one type, well, self-sources, it's going to be a pain either way. Um, and there's there's also not just one type of uh, already built machine, right? There's different, it, well, for the same user, you might be able to recommend different kind of brackets of either a kit or a finished machine. Yeah, I guess, I guess maybe the question, if someone is asking if they should self-source, is because actually they are interested in innovating and doing something different, maybe... They're not happy with the kits yeah. that are out there or the machines out there. So you can take the opposite view that actually this this person could be completely competent and yeah. buying uh, self-sourcing could be part of that whole strategy of them yeah. learning as well. Absolutely. And there's always the option that they're just a masochist and uh, just like, I, I need the experience of, of sourcing and building everything myself. And that, 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 and that can be a learning experience, and, yeah. And I think you're right. It can cost almost as much, if, if not more sometimes. I've done the same exercise and thought, well, actually, this kit, yeah, they're making a decent margin on it, but yeah, doing it all yourself is perhaps not, not, such, a, uh, not such a good a good idea. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So overall, self-sourcing for the hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, unless you've got a real reason. I, uh, or you wanna I think you could sell be hardcore kits. and do a kit as well. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I, you know, our first printer was a kit, and then after we used the kit to learn, then we went on and self-sourced. And the machines are there. That's my first kit. And that's my first three D printer. Yeah. self-sourced. So, and of course, the big box was probably the ultimate kit. <laughs> yes. The ultimate. Well, it's self-sourced. <laughs> it I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you printers by yeah. Fast printer has the most fastness. <laughs> ultimate amount, of the best amount of time. <laughs> we had the most fastness. I think it's still getting beat up by the by the sales mendel. Yeah, um, we, we we counted it was over a thousand uh, fastener bits. Yeah, there was a lot of bearings in that, wasn't there? Really bearings and washers and everything's everything's a, a bolt yeah. washer nut piece washer nut. Ooh, perfect engineering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the rules a bit. Yeah, and then Prusa came along and just followed <laughs> the rules. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll that, make it work. But that's history, and we're we're I, I feel like we're way past that. Yeah. All right, we're making good time here. Um, I think we can move on for the for the big topic. What materials? We have two material specialists here, I guess. Um, I wouldn't call myself a specialist. I just enjoy playing with. Uh, yeah, I just I just a plastic enthusiast. <laughs> 
I, I suppose to, to, to like to qualify that neither of us have any formal materials background. Oh well. uh, yes, but he, both of you are into materials and then playing with them and trying to make the best of yeah. what's available. I think I think real world experience uh, um, from my day job in electronics uh, and interaction with materials and products and the approvals and regulations that go into some of those things uh, give you an idea of the sort of materials that you like to use in industry and then the exciting different materials that you can use in 3D printing. Um, I think you mentioned uh, polypropylene in previous yeah. podcasts. And that, that's, yeah, and Stefan's really yeah, into that. And that's, that's really interesting because it's a, it's a fantastic material and it's been particularly difficult to print with yeah, back in I the early days. I was that anyone yeah. got any polyolefin yeah. to print ever. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I always just thought, mm, yeah, you've got no chance. But it's yeah. starting to formulate into a, into a sensible product you can actually 3D print. Yeah, yeah. And so supposedly it is very easy to print and gets massive layer adhesion. Mm. Yeah. And that's yeah. fantastic. That's, that's actually, I spend most of my time, the first time I use a new material or a new source or a new manufacturer, if I know that they're trying something different, um, it's layer bonding. I'm playing around yeah. with layer bonding. I don't really care about the quality or the, the, the finish or anything until yeah. the layer bonding has been proven it's to kind be of sensible. Kind of the, the trade-off point where you, you tune a temperature and, and, and print settings wise to have good layer bonding and you can work for that, from that because that's kind of the, the sweet spot for a material when you figure out, okay, this sticks, this, this makes a mechanically sound part. Um, that's kind of when I feel this is how the material wants or needs to be printed. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So that's PP and that, that's probably the most exotic one uh, so far and the, the one that we're starting out. So uh, does PLA actually have real-world use cases beyond just being pretty and being available in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and forms. I think people are always like, PLA is weak, but if you actually go and... It's very strong. Yeah, it's it's like, it can be like glass. It's really, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, I really, if you go along and actually look at the stats, uh, PLA is stronger than ABS, so just to really cull that myth right at the start. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like PLA is a very strong material with an amazing flexural modular. It's very stiff. Um, and it's very dimensionally stable when you print it. So it's fant actually fantastic for mechanical parts. You can print it super accurately. You get very rigid, very stiff parts that are also very strong. But let's also talk honestly about the downsides. It, you know, it has a brittle failure mode, so it doesn't have much toughness. Um, and it's not great at the extremes of temperature. Um, so when it's cold, it becomes even brittler. Um, and when it's hot above 60, it's, you know, it's a waste of time. Um, yeah. But if it's a room temperature component, um, that even if it needs to be quite strong, uh, PLA is probably your best bet. Um, don't discount it. I think people throw PLA away and go, ah, oh, I'm going to move to PETG and it'll be stronger. Like, well, actually, like overall, your holistic experience, you know, the quality of the part that you can produce, how dry is your PET compared to how strong is your PLA. I, don't discount PLA. Um, think about your application. I mean, I've, I've done the, well, I don't want to say informal testing, but the comparative testing of PLA against ABS, against PTG, a ton of filaments, and PLA very much is a strong filament. But you mentioned temperature. Um, there's also the problem of creep over time. If you have it under tension from a, from a fastener or something, it will give, and that fastener is going to come loose. Um, and also from the early printer builds, I remember, I'm not sure if it's still the same PLA we're using today, but if you had, for example, the Mendel top profiles where it held the Z-Rods, those would crack over time if it was just PLA. Mm. Um, so for, for anything that is like under constant stress, it's probably not the best material to use. It, it, no, it's not. I think I think if you take all those downsides, the the upsides are always that it's very very easy to to use on yeah. most most, yeah. most the overriding printers. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think it's a wonderful. It's still a wonderful prototyping plastic. Um, it, and I don't mean to sound negative on it, because, but it's just a very easy way. You know, you're not going to get too much warp on whatever size mm -hmm. objects you print. You can figure out whether or not you can print those in other materials later on. But if you want to physically test something. Um, that's fantastic for PLA. Yeah. So I wish it had more layer bonding like PETG and a bit more impact resistance. Um, maybe some blends and mixes we'll see in the future may may allow some PLAs. Yeah, there, um, there are some, some materials that do a bit more impact resistance, but at the expense of uh, rigidity, yeah. uh, stiffness, and also overall strength. So yeah. 
there's you there's don't something. yeah there's you don't get something for nothing in the world of PLA. Like, <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah additive you know your toughness make it you know less stiff and yeah. so on and so forth so is there even a place for an abs as you mentioned it's weaker than pla which i can agree um but is there a place where abs or pc abs or blends of that makes sense i i think so in some small cases um I think that for like for like testing, it can be really good. Um, but ABS also does have some quite nice properties when you're printing it. Like yes, ABS can be a real pain when you print it, um, but you can get ABSs with fantastic flow properties, and they have this peculiar characteristic where they can be extremely flowy and runny when they're in the flowing state. But when it's even when it's hot. Um, if it's not under any stress, they behave as a solid. They call a whole class of fluids called Bingham plastics, um, which mean that you can very easily pump it through a very small nozzle um, and uh, highish flow rates, um, and you can get it to go into place very easily. But as soon as the nozzle leaves where it is, it behaves like a solid. So you can get these fantastic overhangs. It's one of the you know very high flow ABSs like MG94 um, and high flow ASAs that are used in making these big thin walled components like you know they're designed for uh, molding like TV screen bezels and stuff like that. You can get them to flow through tiny nozzles, um, form into really fine features with a lot of crisp definition and accuracy, um, and you can of course use them to simulate ABS parts in certain ways within certain yeah. use cases. Uh, I think as long as you keep ABS parts relatively small um, and with those smaller nozzles, you can get some incredibly good quality um, prints out of them. So I think ABS still has a, a very good um, usage, uh, but it's it's generally, uh, see, we're seeing less of it being used for larger parts or uh, um, even by industrial customers, they realize yeah. that actually it's, it's not just ABS, just because they used to use that in injection molding and they're used to that for prototyping. Um, it doesn't have to be for their three D printed part. Yeah, I guess so, the material that machines quite well afterwards. Um, yeah, because half or post. Yeah, doesn't squeak like PTG or, or melt like PLA. Yeah. Um, but I gotta say, I actually like printing PC ABS or even good PC uh, by itself a lot for anything that is in contact with heat waves outside or might be in the sun. Um, I mean, PLA, of course, as soon as it sees sunlight or is it out in the car or somewhere, it's, it's just over. It melts. It's soft, it deforms, it, it crystallizes maybe even. Yeah. Um, and that is, I mean, PLA shrinks a lot if it yeah. does that. Um, but that's also something that I've noticed with uh, some PTGs. Um, if you leave them out in the sun and they get to a certain temperature for a while, yeah. they crystallize, they might shrink a bit, um, but some also become brittle. Um, and I've run into that before and it's, it's a huge problem. If you use a part and you take it straight off the printer, it works. And after a week or two, or you have a warmer day in summer, it, it all of a sudden is a completely different part. Mm -hmm. And something like an, an ABS or a PC ABS does not do that. Um, so it, it, you get it off the printer, that's exactly the part you're going to have for the rest of the part's life. Yeah. I, there's something about PC that I've never, like, and this is really hard to describe, but anyone that's stared at like plastic coming out of nozzles and laying down into beads for long enough, um, probably like Rich and I have, and you as well, uh, there's something indescribable about PC and the way it lays down and seems to just like lay into these just gorgeous, perfect translucent layers with that like full interlayer, like optical yeah. transparency. And there's just something really fantastic about PC and the way it prints. It's a pity that it needs those higher temperatures. Mm. Um, I, there's been some great work done on that on the PC Max by Polymaker. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a really fantastic material. Um, but really, they're, they're kind of back blending it with um, lower end polyesters uh, and co polyesters like PET and the like to achieve that. Um, still a fantastic material, but it loses some of that like that that PC glory um, yeah. that I, I really miss. But it does make it fantastically easier to use yeah. and, and much more accessible. I think that's the interesting thing with all this talk about materials and the different resins, because there's thousands and thousands mm. of different mixes. Um, and that was also my experience with um, PLA and small nozzles were pretty disastrous. But actually, the uh, Polymaker. Um, 
PLA Max, Polymax um, PLA ran really, really well. It yeah. behaved almost like an ABS and was the yep. only part I could use that wasn't ABS or other blends um, to use in really tiny, small nozzles. And you still get good layer bonding and you still don't get that uh, uh, shattering of parts uh, later on. So I think that's a good compromise. But that probably should be encouraged. People get a little bit carried away with additives and modifiers and not being pure to the resin but i think actually fine it's good to to mix these blends up a bit and, yeah, to, uh, make, to make them printable make them yeah printing it's a different discipline after all it's not injection molding it's not well, all I of these other things so what we're seeing is that like this progression like we started off with we, we started off we would go and we would read all the data sheets of the available resins and pick an injection molding resin that would work and then the extruder companies will buy that, extrude it into a filament, hooray, you've got an acceptable material. And then came the like, right, well let's add some plasticizer or adhesion modifier to make it stick to the bed better or make it flow more easily. And so the compounds and the compounders, and I think that's kind of where we were a year or so ago. Um, but now I think we're starting to see the first uh, fruit of chemical companies, big chemical companies, actually synthesizing and building the molecules for such that, you know, there's only so far you can go with compounding. You're taking yeah. an existing product, you're mixing it up, um, you know, you, you can't mix together, you know, orange juice and apple juice and get Coca-Cola. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like we're actually producing these, these chemicals from scratch and you can construct the chain as you want it. I and mean, we've been playing this game with um, the peak that we're working on and we can call up the company and say, we want the chains a little bit longer and we want a little bit more of this in here and that on there and so on and so forth. Um, and that'll happen. And there's been great work by Eastman um, on the kind of Amphora range mm. and the NGEN stuff. That's one of the very few, I think Steve Wright over there was one of the pioneers in, in doing this. Um, and I, I, I'm just really excited for now that we're getting, you know, Mitsubishi coming in um, and having a presence in the in the filament world. We've got oh, they've, they've, they've been there before verbatim is, is Mitsubishi as well. Yeah. Um, but as far as I know, the, all of those materials that they're doing are not like synced by Mitsubishi from scratch yet um, for FDM. But I'm super excited uh, to see what comes next because I if we can take peak and make it printable without a heated chamber, like what can you do with polycarbonate or what can you do, you know, with things like, uh, you know, polypropylene yeah. and we can get these, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that soon we'll get, um, Delrin and acetyl in a printable format. Wow. Like, that would okay. be incredible. Um, that's completely unachievable with current Delrin resins because of their shrink rate and their crystallinity. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a super high performance polymer that's used all over engineering. It's completely unprintable to us right now. Um, and I think it would be like the advent of nylon all over again. Okay. So one thing I've been wondering is why we haven't seen more um, of the phase change process in 3D printing. So the actual change of um, amorphous or crystalline structures, it's getting a little bit heavy now, but it, it would be really interesting to, to see whether or not that type of process could be more slickly integrated into the 3D printing process um, and actually sort of you know, what materials may be available to us then. Yeah, so uh, for, the, for the listeners here, uh, just to, to explain that, that idea a bit more, um, it's something that, uh, for example, has been known from, from Protopasta with our HDPOA. Um, you print the part, it's amorphous, when it, when it comes off the printer, it's, the, the polymer chains are not in an orderly fashion, basically. Correct, please correct me uh, yeah, if, uh, if I get yeah. anything of this wrong. Yeah, yeah. so the, the polymer chains are kind of chaotic and it's typically the, um, what is it? it's a clear filament if yeah, it's, glossy, if it's yeah, glass, glossy kind of. And then you heat it up to a, to a certain critical temperature, you keep it there for a while and the polymer chains arrange themselves in a nice regular structure and that drastically changes the way that the polymer behaves or the plastic behaves as, a, as an entire thing. And you can do that to 3D printed parts. Um, some of them might shrink a bit, some of them might, you know, 
become unusable in some way, but with some polymers, it, it just turns them into this, this massively overperforming uh, thing that you didn't have before. For example, with PLAs, all of a sudden it is uh, more rigid, it is um, stronger overall, it is temperature resistant like nothing else, and it just, it's, it's an amazing process. So why, why is that, that, that we're not seeing more of it? I, I think the, yeah, the one thing, uh, the way you described that, the, the, the Natureworks resin that's used in that high temperature PLA um, and the process to anneal afterwards uh, is a fairly straightforward process that anyone could do with a fairly well temperature controlled oven. Um, I think maybe Sanjay, you'll have a bit of an idea on some of the other materials that you often mm -hmm. have to cook in oil for a huge long period of yeah. time and slowly heat them I've not actually heard of so, that yeah so some some materials to change their state you do have to do some crazy things and over a very long period of time so i think that's maybe why we haven't seen yeah. so much advancement but i do wonder whether there's any easy wins like like the uh, high temperature PLAs we've seen recently. Also, I, I think that the part of the reason here is that post facto crystallization of parts is relatively unexplored in industry. So, for example, with PETs, um, high-end engineering PETs that you use in automotive, they're designed to be crystalline, mm. super crystalline, and so you heat them up molten, fire them into the mold, and then you let them cool slow enough, um, and you make the, the mixture, the, the chemicals that their like inherent properties want to crystallize faster and then the part pops out super crystalline hooray and or you make a, a bottle and you pump it out and use a resin that's more amorphous and you cool it down quickly um, and it is in the amorphous state and so resins have broadly been in those kind of two categories amorphous or crystalline and intentionally placed in those two and once the parts formed you don't tend to take something in the amorphous mm. state and turn it crystalline in industry beforehand um, so in order to do this really well you need to create a resin that is quite amorphous and is amorphous enough for you to print it um, and manage the printing conditions and keep it amorphous and then still be easily crystallizable um, and because industry has been in the will have a a crystalline version or we'll have an amorphous version you've got resins that are kind of at either end um, and you don't have this kind of little bit in the middle so we end up doing things like taking nylon and then printing it with the fans on full yeah to make it print amorphous and then sometimes take it and then crystallize it afterwards under you know conditions there so i think that like that whole post facto crystallization of parts is something that industry hasn't fully explored. There's some fundamental science still to do, like um, formulization and synthesis of polymers. I don't know, we're getting pretty heavy into the, yeah, into the weeds with chains. Hey, it's, it's, it's fun stuff, yeah. I think some of it comes back to the, the hot end as well, and in in what's actually possible to do in, in that with the materials. I, I've certainly had some um, PET that behaved incredibly oddly in a hot end at certain temperatures i.e. becoming a crystalline block and then having oh, to and be clogging up the hot end. and clogging up you know yeah. what i'm talking about yeah, and, we've, we've done some work. and I, I had a lot of i would say fun because it was fun i knew what was going on but it would be incredibly frustrating for anyone who bought that material put it in their hot end and ran it at 265 and thinking well i should pump it through actually that's exactly the wrong temperature to run it at and you have to pump it up to 290 almost to get it to flow again so it's a, a weird material and and i thought it was great fun playing with that but someone who bought that material just expecting it to work would have an uh, enormously bad time and probably blame your hot end i would have yeah. thought yeah i imagine so yeah but overall i mean the, not a lot of people are, are using that that process intentionally and are crystallizing their parts once they come off the printer. And I think that's just because it's, it's an extra step. Um, yeah. As with anything, you know, people are lazy. They would rather have something that they can grab off of their printer and have it perform exactly the way they want versus maybe even needing an extra device, an extra toaster oven that has been modified in some way to, to do the temperature curve. Unpredictability, right? The parts necessarily change temperature when they crystallize. That's a physical, yeah. like, Thing that has to happen when you crystallize a part so they will change shape and how they're going to change shape is unintuitive um, and unpredictable i guess we've seen that recently in some of the metal machines that are taking green parts and and um, 
shrinking them. You're seeing the same sort of process happening. There has to be a controlled shrinkage, and that's a very, very difficult thing I to I think those guys have it much easier, right? Do you? Because, okay. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. sintering is a process. Yeah. Sintering is a process, as I don't know much about sintering, but as I understand, it's much more isotropic, whereas polymers shrink. Because the chains align when you put them down, particularly in FDM, the chains align. Um, perpendicular to the flow, so in the uh, kind of the radial direction, you get more shrink because okay. all the chains yeah. are like this, and then they go funk, and yeah. that together yeah. parallel, and you get less shrink in the axial direction, which was backwards to how I imagined it to be. Yeah, yeah, I can start. see that. Yeah. It's kind of like wood, right? Yeah, it's just like yeah. wood. Yeah, just like wood. Okay. I guess the other thing is we've just talked about FDM. There are lots of other oh, materials yeah. in three D printing as well. True, true. Um, I don't have a ton of experience with resins, to be honest. Um, well, I, I don't particularly like resins. Um, I've used them and don't particularly get on with them. But paste, I think there's a huge amount of um, usage that we could use in 3D printing with, with different pastes. And I think that's only just been touched on. Uh, and people have done the usual uh, sort of standard ones. But um, yeah, integrating that. And that's one of the tool changer um, aspects mm. that I think where they will start to see uh, some really interesting uses of paste, even if it's to add a silicon seal on afterward, a silicon um, um, seal or something on a print, 3D printed part, yeah. um, something as simple as that. But that can be a really interesting um, aspect to to that side where you just can't get that from um, thermoplastic materials. So I think pastes have a long way. Yeah, and with paste you can do more than just polymers, you can do more than just plastics. Um, I've talked to the guys at Bukusini who are printing foodstuffs, mm. uh, they're printing, you know, potato, whatever that is. Anything you can mush, potato, really, yeah. potato for, <laughs> they've, they've been printing uh, liver pate and, and all sorts of weird stuff. Um, honestly, I don't much see the application of that, but where I do see the application... <laughs> It's kind of a gimmick. Yeah, the best application I heard for 3D printing food was for care homes. So you can yes. you, you can recreate a carrot, but it isn't as as difficult to eat as a carrot. Yeah. It's still got some bite. It's still got some. That's cute. Yeah. It still looks and feels like a carrot. It's not yeah. just a plate of mush, but actually you can break it up quite easily with a with a spoon. So yeah, I think honestly, that, wouldn't it just be easier to make like a vacuum formed mold and just. Spread your paste in there, you get a much nicer result, and it's, it takes seconds instead of hours to print. Maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. And I think um, it's a back to the will it be appealing to a, a very small minority who's quite happy to pay for that customer experience? Now, that's usually yeah. how these things get driven from Michelin star chefs, yeah. and like customized um, yeah, cakes and stuff. Yeah. But I would love to see actually that technology, whether it is 3D printing or mold making or whatever else, be used. Yeah. the aging population i think that's actually a really valid um usage case for, for the materials yeah. and the 3d uh, positioning systems yeah so food and and also what you can do with paste is you can do ceramics yeah uh, there have some there have been some incredibly awesome um well, demos and 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 well show pieces of of how we can use a ceramic clay kind of uh, material and print it it stays in in shape it's printable like a like a filament then you fire it and you have your fully functional, still 3D print looking parts, but you have a fully functional ceramic part all of a sudden. And what was it? That was at the Bay Area Mega Fair. Um, there was a project that was um, kind of repopulizing, uh, repo repopulating, that's the word, uh, coral reefs. So that they made like substitute um, reef structures basically. Um, dumped them into the ocean and you know watched the reef grow back basically. That was one of the very early. That that was like 2011. Uh, people were well, doing that in Sydney. So that that was one of the very early usage cases for concrete. Okay. Well, it wasn't concrete printing actually. It was a mix of stone and certain chemicals to reformat the stone back from a paste That's material. Cool. So um, it wasn't an, an, a concrete structure that would be. Um, negative to the environment there was actually yeah. a stone based uh, so there was some some inspiration happening yeah, there with yeah. that so yeah. that's one of the big usage cases um for large format um 3d printing so, yeah yeah and i guess one one of the last materials we, we could touch on is is the ultra high performance stuff uh so first of all carbon filled mm. I've, I've personally not had good experience with carbon filled materials yeah they, they look nice they have a nice texture to them but very often it is 
they're not either not putting enough carbon in there or chopping the fibers too short um, to actually make a, a noticeable difference in, well, in strength. Most materials are going to print better because they don't shrink much, but they, they're not performing better in the end. Yeah. Have you guys made, made any different experiences with chopped no, carbon films? I've had pretty much the same experience, really. It's, it's uh, an aesthetic. Um, I found it to be quite disappointing. Um, there, there, there have been some good samples that I've had for stronger carbon fiber materials, but generally uh, I do find that people are charging a lot for effectively something that's just matte and black. Um, not a huge amount different in there. I, I think that we're getting there. Um, I think that some of the new carbon reinforced nylons um, have valid applications. Um, and we've got to look at why we're adding the carbon. Uh, like why, why, why add carbon to a resin? Increase modulus, increase strength but also decrease shrinkage and warpage. Mm. Um, and there's a whole um, very valid argument that is this will allow us to print higher performance materials more easily. Um, so carbon-filled nylon and carbon-filled polycarbonate are much easier to print um, than their unfilled relatives in a lot of cases, warp-wise anyway. Um, I have a lot of, I, I think that with material science, we can get that increase in modulus um, and a small, well, I've been able to get materials to show increases in strength and definitely modulus. Um, so I, I think that a lot more engineering needs to happen, but they have, they have a lot of, a, I think they have a significant future. But um, I think the big caveat to all of this is I think that glass can do probably 90% of what carbon is doing. Um, yeah. and so why are we not using glass? Well, it's because glass tends to be made in larger diameter strands and carbon tends to come in smaller diameter mm. strands and the carbon fits through the nozzle easier. Um, and so we pay this huge premium to get a fiber filled material that, that is really utilizing none of the exceptional properties of the carbon. So you're paying, yeah. you know, you pay the filament premium, you pay the filled filament premium, then you pay for the carbon as well. And so you end up paying, you know, 50 pounds and your and your hardened nozzle and your hardened nozzle. Yeah. So yeah. so basically, it's what is? So basically, what he's saying is, if you're using uh, fiber filaments, use a large nozzle and use glass fiber. Uh, no, I'm Ooh. saying that filament manufacturers should um, put smaller diameter, should get smaller diameter glass yeah. and put it in nylon, and then sell lower cost glass reinforced nylon. I've tried gas, try glass it, reinforced nylon. Well, I printed it with it. Yeah. It's not a not a nice thing no, to, to use at the moment. But that's because um, the it looks, broken yeah, glass. Yeah, it, it, it actually looks quite knobbly. Uh, the the filament. Uh, and you not, run your finger yeah. over it, and then you look at your yeah. finger and you're like, "Ouch! I'll never do that again." <laughs> yeah, I I had an application I wanted to experiment with uh, to fix a bathroom shower screen. Uh, yeah. And um, I knew it was basically glass filled nylon, the, the part, the original part, um, and tried to replicate that and gave up. I ended up using PC ABS and that was fine. It was absolutely strong enough and yeah. it did the job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting experiment to, to play with that. And I, yeah, I agree with Sanjay, it just needs a little bit more research. But yes, the, um, one, of, one of the best PLAs I ever had was just a carbon filled PLA. Um, it was supposed to be conducted, but they didn't. It wasn't good enough. But actually, it was a really nice PLA to use and print with. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, they're super. you super dimensionally stable parts, and I think that you'll probably find that. So Colorfab's got a new nylon out um, that um, they announced at TCT. I believe I wasn't there, but they've got a new nylon out, and um, Polymaker have that um, their new nylon out, um, and. Neither of them are advertising them as filled materials, but I have a very strong suspicion that they are using fillers. They're not just, they're just not fibrous fillers. Yeah. Um, I think that they're using nanoclay as mineral fillers, which are all mm -hmm. over the polymer industry. Yeah, we use them all the yeah. time in polypropylene and things. They, they reduce cost because they're, you know, yeah. they're mainly made of dirt and dirt is cheaper exactly. than plastic. I mean, dirt, things don't get much cheaper than dirt. Um, Cleaned it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Clean, you know, clean well and sort of. I mean, yeah. it's basically you dig it out of the ground, you crush it up, you chuck it in the extruder. Yeah. Um, and, but we've been using them for a very long time, so they're very well understood. Mm. Um, and they increase stability, slightly increase stiffness, um, a bunch of other properties, but they massively reduce shrink in 3D printed parts. So again, Interesting, yeah. having these fillers in really intelligent ways rather than 
in the past it's just been like carbon is cool and people buy carbon we'll yeah. start carbon yeah. um now we're starting to get into the intelligent addition of fillers that belong there for specific reasons so i have faith i think that no film materials have not shown their true promise to the fdm world yet but stick with us um and we'll we'll get there we're getting there yeah and do you think there's more options than the, the if for fdm and thermoplastics than there is for resins for example yes yeah i we've got a like multi-trillion dollar head start uh, 50 years of polymer. <laughs> like, it's just a no-brainer. Like, yeah. yeah. Thermoplastic is the most widely used material on planet Earth that mm. humankind uses to manufacture the made world around it. Maybe concrete? Yeah. yeah. In terms of number of parts. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly numbers of unique designs and the way I... But well, it's up there at the very least. Yeah. Um, and that it's got... It's had some effort put into it. Um, and so I think that, yes, the, if we're looking at what 3D printing will do in the polymer world, it's thermoplastic polymers um, in the 3D printing world. I think that A, physics is probably on our side, um, but also the huge head start um, and industry basis. Definitely, I definitely agree. I think I'm always surprised when people ask when FDM printers will, will die or when they will not be the when norm. When SLA will replace. Yeah, it, yeah. it really surprised me and I have to tell them the same, basically the same sort of thing, that um, they both have a purpose, but actually the reason why it's been around for 30 years already is still because it's still a very valid uh, process. Yeah. I must say that Carbon are doing some really cool, a lot of people carbon see 3D, Carbon and yeah. they're just like, oh, they're the people with the cool... Yeah, it's just a fast glass. printer, but actually, no, 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 no. Well, the chemistry like, there is... The chemistry, it's really cool, <laughs> yeah. so they mix the yeah. light resin with the thermoset resin, it's yeah. freaking neat. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's on the cutting edge of resin. I think um, for most makers, uh, yeah, you're going to be stuck to fairly bland formulas for some time in resin, mm -hmm. whereas yeah. FDM is going places. Yeah. So I think with, with SLA resins, there's, um, because as you mentioned, uh, FDM and, and, and polymers, injection molding polymers, uh, have seen so much research already. I think there's a ton of untapped potential with SLA because we've just not seen the full spectrum of what's possible yeah. um, and what might still be out there. So then, you know, as soon as there's a bit of interest there, I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be new developments that do more than uh, what we think we can do today. Just how science works, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's definitely a lot more to come. There's definitely a lot more to come. I just would preface that with, I think it's harder to get things to polymerize with the addition of a photon and then get all the molecules to couple together than I think it is to have molecules that already exist and are synthesized just jumble themselves around a bit. One is an inherently more complex, more difficult process than the other. Um, and I think that adds quite a bit of constraint to your available chemistries and properties. And certainly from the accessible, access, accessibility side, it's, uh, it's still going to be easier to run it on a reel uh, through a 3D printer in a thermoplastic system than it is any other type of resin. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Um, we're not going to do Q&A today because we are running out of time. Um, yeah, well, My it's, it's alright, but I think we, we've got a we've got a good hour of, um, of very interesting content and uh, you know, good stuff we talked about. So thank you. Hey, but that's what this podcast is for, right? It's all about the We 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 get an hour to just talk about the stuff you enjoy, and I, I think we've we've done that. So thank you both for for being here, and thanks for for spending the time. Thank, thank you. you. It's been great. <laughs>